Good morning and welcome to Refuge. Um, just what a beautiful morning. Uh, it feels refreshing to come in after a, after a night of rain. Uh, there was like a, at our house, it, there was a, there was like a heavy drizzle. It almost rained, but it wasn't quite there. And it just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And, uh, and so I, I don't know how it was at, at your house. I know different parts of Riverside, you know, some places it rained pretty good and others it just drizzled and, you know, but there's more coming. And, um, and the Lord refreshes us. And just as um, we see the, the, the physical rain coming down and um, it turns, uh, you know, it feeds and it you know, waters and it, and it makes things green and strong as it shoots deep into the soil. So it is with God's word. You know, we come here on a regular basis to, I, I, I would hope, to sit at the Lord's feet and to, to desire um, to hear from him and what he has for us. Because everything that has to do with life and godliness is found in the word of God. And, uh, and, and so this is just one portion of our lives that we give ourselves to in order to uh, be fed with the Word of God, um, to grow, um, to mature, uh, to have a greater understanding of God's truth, um, that we would apply it to our lives to the glory of God. And, uh, and so that's why we're here. We're here to listen from, from the Lord and from His Word. And uh, so this morning, uh, if you will, please open up your Bibles to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And the title of this morning's message is White Knuckled Believers. White Knuckled Believers. We're going to talk a little bit about that and, uh, and describe that to you. But let's start out by reading. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to give you uh, just a few verses and then the portion that we're covering or focusing in on this morning. Uh, beginning in chapter 2 and in verse 1. It says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered uh, together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that, di- that day will not come unless... And then Paul goes on to explain what needs to take place after or actually before the, the day of the Lord. And so, uh, so he, he starts out this section with, with that in mind. And then he continues and, and uh, concludes this section in verse 13 where it says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the, very, the, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort, and establish them, I'm sorry, who gave us eternal comfort and, and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Heavenly Father, we want to once again commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, Father, that your spirit would move 
and uh, give us understanding of your word that uh, I would be simply set aside and uh, that I would be uh, just, uh, just an instrument, Lord, a mouthpiece, if you will, um, the one who delivers uh, your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would, Lord, take heed, and that we would listen carefully, and that we would apply it to our lives, um, Lord, again, to your, to your glory. And may we be reminded of the love and, that you have for us, the grace that you have demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. May we truly rejoice in that hope that we have, and, uh, and Lord, just know that you are always with us, and, uh, and you lead us into the things that bring you glory, both in service and in word and in thought. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So white-knuckled believers, uh, imagine or think back at a time when, um, you know, you, you rode a roller coaster for the first time. How you felt on that that moment that you rode a roller coaster. Uh, you remember at Magic Mountain they had, I believe it was, yeah, Magic Mountain where they had free fall? You remember that? It was yellow. I just remember it was yellow and it was just, it was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was like the, the, one of the biggest rides, right? I, that, now it's like, what, 19, maybe 80, early 80s? Is that perhaps when it was, when it came out? Yeah. You guys aren't going to answer, right? Only one person is going to date himself, like me. He's also 50, though. So, yeah. <laughs> but I remember, um, you know, how it felt to get on that and then to be, you know, it was like backwards. It wasn't facing forwards. Now they have rights to where it's just horrible. They torture you. You're facing down, and you're going down and down and down at great speeds, and you, you feel like you're going to just splat on the ground. And at least then they, they turned you on your back, and then you fell backwards. But, uh, but it was a time, if you were to look down at the, at the, the, the posts as they came in and look at your hands, I'm sure they'd be white-knuckled. You'd be holding on for dear life, hoping that this thing works, Right? You're white knuckles. So just imagine that um, for any of you who per- perhaps have um, gone out skydiving, uh, I'm sure that was a white knuckled moment to where you jumped out of a perfectly good airplane um, to go down and hopefully the parachute opens up and there you go. So a, a white knuckled moment or, or standing on a platform suspended high above a rugged mountain. You know, there is this gondola that um, goes up the side of a mountain uh, on the Palm Springs side and, and goes up to the mountain peak, right? Um, there are these lifts that you're going to for any skiers or uh, snowboarders. Um, you're going to be riding these lifts going up to the top of the mountain so that you can uh, ski or snowboard down. And, but sometimes you reach these heights to where you're just holding on for dear life. You're, you're just not sure. It's just like, is this thing going to hold? Or perhaps if you're in a place in a plat- on a, uh, behind a platform like this, and some of you who have spoken publicly know that after a while you may not realize it, but everyone else does, that you're holding on for dear life. Because <laughs> this, is, this is one of the scariest places to be on the face of the earth. 
You know, forget skydiving or some roller coaster or anything like that. But, but it's either a fear or excitement that causes us what we've come to uh, know as, as described as a white-knuckle moment. Now think of the grip you would have on anything that would help you feel like it was helping you feel more secure. That's what it is, right? It would be that white-knuckled experience. In other words, the excitement or tension of the experience would cause you to hold on so tight that your knuckles turn white. Now, the relation of this to our Christian faith is the very act, uh, the very uh, experience of knowing a hope, knowing the grace of God, knowing the love of God, the faithfulness of God, His compassion, and wanting to cling so tightly to that which is eternally secure. Clinging to the Word of God, because we know that it is the key to living a life that reflects our love of the one who forgave us and through whom we have eternal life. You know, I had to think about some of the things that we find security in, and sometimes we hold on to the wrong things or to the wrong people. You know, we look for wisdom sometimes in all the wrong places. Unfortunately, we can find those wrong places to be family members, you know, to where we perhaps lean on their experience and what they have to say to us when it's contrary to the Word of God. We can't do that. As much as I love my mom, you know, I have to say that I love the Lord much more. And although I will, I will take her her counsel, her experience, you know, and I'll, I'll receive it. I have to say, if it doesn't match, match God's word, I just won't continue on with it. Why? Because I know that the one thing that I need to cling to is the truth of God's word. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's on his word that I could stand. It's on his word that I can cling to and know that it'll hold me. But on the opinions of others or the experience of others, well, I can't say the same. Can you? I've known it to be true that we cannot. We don't white-knuckle the Word of God because we live in fear of falling or losing our salvation, but because we realize that without God's wisdom, we are left to our foolish devices that only lead to confusion and destruction. Besides, we demonstrate our love for Jesus when we know and obey the Word of God, the Bible. And so it's for that very reason that we ought to be in the Word, knowing, understanding, and then demonstrating by applying the Word of God to our lives a love for Jesus. Why would we want to know and obey the Word of God? Because God first loved us, and he demonstrated it to us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Father sent the Son to die on your behalf and for your sins. There's salvation. Salvation is not found in anyone else, through no one else. There's no one else that can be more faithful 
no one else that can be more constant. So, when we know and understand what the Bible says about various situations and events, we should not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, is what the Apostle Paul was reminding them of. But rather, we should be steady in our thoughts and deliberate in our actions, undisturbed, unmoved, calm, composed, and collected. And that's why for those who are solid in the Lord, who are standing on God's truth, who are clinging to Him, that when they are faced with certain things that can be overwhelming, that you see that, that peace that surpasses all understanding. You see a calmness about them, even though the world around them may be falling apart. When we are composed aware, and ready. We will be able to deal with life as it comes in a way that glorifies God. And by the way, by you handling situations in that way, you encourage others. You are that comfort for someone else. You are that source uh, of, of uh, encouragement, a good example to follow as you follow Christ. You see, Paul desired for the Christians in Thessalonica to stand firm and hold on to the word of God. Not that they were absent from persecution. Not that they were absent from affliction. Just as we today are not absent. We we don't have the absence of those things. We don't have the absence of afflictions. I'm sure you're all dealing with something in your lives. And so this message comes to you. To also stand firm and hold on to the word of God. That you may be taught in... Remember what you've been taught and apply it to your lives in the teaching that has come to you through the word of God. And so it was that the Apostle Paul was telling them, hey, listen, you need to stand firm. You need to hold on to the word of God that you've been taught through the teaching that you've heard from me personally and by my letters. He wanted them to realize and understand some very important truths, things that he was thankful to God for and things he wanted them to realize and be thankful for also. You know, Psalm 119, 99 and 100 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. And in 114, it says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Psalm 119, 143 says, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. The Apostle Paul and the psalmist share the same understanding of the value of the word of God and the necessity of clinging to it. And that is the understanding we today need to come to. Oh, it is urgent for us to come to that understanding, that place in our own lives. That we too would in a way, white-knuckle the Word of God. Cling to it, for it is our security. That we may be excited as we believe. We are excited about the relationship we have with Jesus Christ and the hope we have in Him. I, I hope that the Word is everything to you. Everything. That you look to it that you read it, meditate on it, and that you apply it. Three things that we're going to look at this morning in these few verses, verses 13 through, through uh, 
uh, 15 or 17, I'm sorry. Number one, be thankful for your salvation is what we have here. Number two, stand firm and hold on to the word of God. And number three, be comforted and established in Jesus Christ. So number one, let's start out with these first two verses, 13 and 14. Uh, in seeing how the Apostle Paul was thankful for the salvation that was true in those people, the believers in Thessalonica. Verse 13 once again says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness is a quality. That should mark every Christian. It should be evident in every Christian. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 The Apostle Paul, even as he started out this letter, this second letter to the Thessalonians, writes, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so when that is absent, when, when that one thing is absent, then we need to question where our faith is. And if we really understand the love that was first demonstrated to us. Because we as Christians ought to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Paul knew that their love for each other was growing. It was a blessing to him. It was a source of encouragement. He knew that their love for each other was steadfast. It was consistent. It was constant. Even through persecutions and afflictions that they were experiencing in that day. But now Paul was giving thanks to God for their salvation. Reminding them of a few facts. First of all, he says, you are beloved by the Lord. When things seem to be falling apart and people betray you and turn their backs on you, always remember that God is with you and he loves you with a perfect love. It's an everlasting love. His love never wavers. And it's the same. Always. But we need those reminders. Because at some point, we disappoint each other. We really do. And if you haven't been disappointed, just hang out for a while. You'll be disappointed. Just want to be hopeful, you know, encouraging. We do. We do those. We disappoint each other. But we demonstrate God's love for each other when we're, when we're patient, when we are long-suffering, when we are compassionate, and when we seek the Lord together. And we demonstrate a sacrificial love that goes beyond those disappointments. But remember, God never disappoints. He's consistent. He's the same always. His love never wavers. It's always the same. And this is the love that teaches us how to love. As he loves us, so it is. As you read the word of God and you see how, how it is that the Lord has loved us and does love us and will always love us, the way in which he loves us, we ought to love each other with that same love. And so we're learning. We're growing. We're understanding a bit more. And then hopefully applying it to our very lives with each other. It's a love that pursues. It's a love that never gives up. It's a love that is patient and kind. It's not selfish. A love that rejoices 
in the truth, a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 7. This type of love doesn't have an end, and it's sacrificial. He, he first demonstrated it to us. The son went to the cross and shed his blood for you. Do you know this type of love? Because this is how God loves you. And so therefore, be thankful. First John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. It's a sobering love. It's a convicting love. It really is. Because when, when you realize really what type of love he loved us with, and, and we're falling short from demonstrating that toward others, it should be convicting. It should be. It, it should drive us to... Uh, desire to grow in our love and to mature and to apply that love to others that he may be glorified. You see, God's motivation for his work in and through us was nothing other than his love for you and I. So never forget that. Secondly, the Apostle Paul reminds them that uh, they were chosen before choosing. That is, uh, God desired salvation for them. You see, God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he chose us for salvation. Even even before we came to know him. Even when we were still his enemies. Jesus Christ died for us. What is amazing is that God has chosen us for salvation. Not because we're so great, but because of the great love he has for us. And the grace that was shed by Jesus on the cross for us, we ought to come to know. We have been set apart in Christ that is sanctified. That's, that's a word. It's, uh, not only is it, is it uh, uh, the, the part or um, uh, described as being set apart for the Lord, but, but it's being set apart from the Lord or growing in holiness. And so the Lord, in the Lord, we've been set apart for eternal life with the Father. And there, is, there should be evidence of this salvation by the work of sanctification that we're allowing the Lord to do in our own lives. It's demonstrated by the belief that we exercise in God's word. Now, we are right to say that we cannot know whether a person has been saved or not. We, we, don't, we don't know their heart. But we sure can see the evidence of sanctification. Can you imagine being saved from the consequences of sin, but not being freed from its power? Oh, that, that would not be nice. <laughs> oh, I, I've, been, I've been freed from the consequences of sin. I, I'm no long, I no longer stand as a con- condemned man. And I know that one day I will see God in all of his glory for all eternity. But God's word tells us, that we have been freed from the bondage we once had to sin. That's why as Christians, you know, habitual sin is, is not something that we should be marked with. Because we've had victory over sin. Let me give you just one verse to prove that. Romans 6, 1, and you can look throughout Romans especially. Romans 6, 1 in this whole chapter. Romans 6, 11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin. No longer 
uh, does that um, entice you, perhaps, as it once did, those things, as far as sin is concerned? But if you're alive in Christ, then you're dead to sin. You can't be alive to Christ and alive to your sin also. Now, listen to the joy in the following verses. This is the sanctification of a believer, the thankfulness it produces in, in many, not only in the, the person, but in many. Second Corinthians chapter 9, please hold your place there and go with me to Second Corinthians chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 10. It says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Several times we see the word, thankfulness or thankful in in just those few verses that we read. But this is the thankfulness that should be produced not only in the person who has experienced this grace, but, but also in everyone else around them as they see this manifested in their own lives. And so we see this work of sanctification even as we read that uh, portion of the second letter of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Now salvation... This is what God has called you to through the hearing of the gospel, is what we read here. That you may believe in no salvation, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that was the desire of the Apostle Paul. Is that the sanctification would be known, would be revealed, would be manifested as, as evidence of the very thing that God has already done in the hearts of those people in Thessalonica through belief that they too may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was thankful for their salvation, and we ought to be thankful for ours. It is the very thing we ought to rejoice over and praise God for. And so white-knuckled believers are, number one, thankful for their salvation. Secondly, we are encouraged to stand firm and hold on to the Word of God. Verse 15 says, and so then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. When was the last time you really got excited about your salvation? Have you, like, sat down and really thought? I mean, especially if you've been walking with the Lord for some time. Think about, man... I'm, sa- I'm still saved. I'm, gonna, I'm forever saved. I've been plucked. I've been plucked, taken out of darkness and put into light in Christ. My sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, for now and for all eternity. 
The Lord says that he has placed our sins as far as the east, away from us as far as the east is from the west. He says he'll remember him no more. My, my place is secure in Christ. I'm excited about where I'm going. I can't imagine eternity in perfection, in God's glory. Well, we should be excited about our salvation. And we should demonstrate it by the way we live our lives, standing firm and clinging to the word of God. The Apostle Paul had addressed some reasons to stand firm and hold on to the word. In chapter 1, in this letter, in verse 4, it says that uh, we ought to stand firm and hold on to the word of God because for them, they were going through persecutions and afflictions. They were enduring them. And if you take verse 4 and you, you go down uh, verse 4, And then verse 5, you'll see it come together, how it is that this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So you demonstrate that you are truly a child of God, enduring these afflictions and these uh, persecutions uh, with faith in God and clinging to him. And so this is why. These are reasons to stand firm and hold on to the Word of God. Secondly, because of the coming deception. We read about that last week. There's a coming deception, and you need to stand firm and hold on to, cling to the very Word of God, because there is a coming deception. And by the way, it is here now. Okay, there are so many things that are trying to deceive us, distract us, take us off course, bring us into the reef so that we would be shipwrecked. Believing the the false doctrines that are out there. And so we ought to stand firm. This is a reason to stand firm and hold on to the, the word of God. And thirdly, because of the glorious hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And that was that we can see in what we covered uh, in verse 14. For us today, the reasons are the same to stand firm and hold on to the word of God. To number one, to endure persecutions and afflictions. Secondly, to withstand deception. And thirdly, to live with certain hope of obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I refer to the word of God because that is what we've come to know as the New Testament. How Paul is referring to it as the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Well, we have the letters And I don't imagine Paul's spoken word to them would contradict his letters. They would go hand in hand, right? Otherwise, they would know him as a, perhaps a false teacher. Your words contradict each other and they don't don't match. So I would think that what he taught them in person, he wrote to them in letter. Let's be certain that religious systems and the traditions of man can be very dangerous to the health of the church. And we see that in Scripture. We're warned. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Um, I, I was thinking about the Jerusalem Council. I know that you know religion can set up all these do's and don'ts, and that's what religion is really good at doing. That, right? 
All these do's and don'ts. You have to do this. You can't do that. And so we, also, we, we always need to go back to the Word of God. The Jerusalem Council is what I was reminded of. In Acts chapter 15 and verses 28 and 29 is what I want to refer to. It says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. That was it. I love that. So, so basic, right? It wasn't complicated. You see, there were those that were in that day trying to make the Gentile believers follow the festivals, the, the rituals of that uh, the Jewish people had followed for, for years. And the Apostle Paul, you're burdening them. You, you, you know, they, you're telling them they need to be circumcised in order to, to like, be a part of us? And you know, It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> you missed the whole point, by the way. You know, it, it, it's not the actual circumcision of the flesh physically, but it's a circumcision of the flesh around the heart. You're, you're, you're missing it. Right? And all these things are a foreshadowing of what has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now when you partake, Jewish, our, our Jewish brothers, you know, when, when you partake of those things, when you participate in them, oh, they have a great, a, a great new meaning. But as far as the Gentile believers are concerned, no, no, no. Leave them alone. Because salvation will not come by the keeping of the festivals and rituals of the Jews, but by grace. The very thing that all of the previous festivals and rituals foreshadowed. The traditions of man will never serve as an anchor for our souls, you see. To hold us steady under the weight of persecutions and afflictions and attempted deceptions. It is only the word of God that is able to do so. So stand on that and stand firm, clinging to it with all of your heart, mind, and strength. And so they made it very simple. For us, it's very simple. We have great freedom in Christ, but we are free from that which what once entangled us. We are free because we're not in bondage to sin anymore, to not sin because we choose not to, because we choose to bless and glorify the Lord. So stand firm on the word of God. Cling to it with all of your heart, mind, and strength. So a white-knuckled believer will be thankful for their salvation, will stand firm and hold on to the word of God. And thirdly, the Apostle Paul was praying that they would be comforted and established in Christ. Verse 16 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And so this was Paul's prayer for the believers in Thessalonica. Knowing that the triune God, and it's interesting because if you, if you read through it, and just read through it real quick, you'll, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. You know what we have here? Is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see all three working together here. And the Apostle Paul refers to our triune God. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself, God our Father. He also mentions the Comforter. 
who is the Spirit given to us by whom we have an eternal comfort and good hope through grace. And he was asking that the Lord would do the special work in the hearts of the believers. And so it is our prayer today that the Lord would do this same work here in and through us today. Two things, comfort our hearts, and number two, establish our hearts. But we need to know why and for what. These two things were the ones that Paul is asking God to do in the hearts of the believers in Thessalonica. They were for work, for their work, and for their word, the words that they would speak. The order of the words actually is interesting because there's strong textual evidence that first comes work and then comes word. And perhaps if you continue to rebel and you have the New King James Version before you, um, there's a reason by the New King James, is, James Version is, is a great um, uh, version of the, of the Bible. But it's interesting how sometimes the words um, are explained, if you notice in the footnotes, and then uh, in the ESV they're actually in there. Now if you want even uh, another good accurate translation would be the New American Standard. And that would be another one that, that we could go to. But the New King James, what, what does it say? It says word first, right? And then work. I know because I, I had read it. But actually there's strong textual evidence that what first comes in the original text is work. I don't believe that the order is a coincidence. You see, James made a strong case in his letter that faith without works is dead, right? It is our way of life and our words that reflect and show whether we have a genuine faith in Christ and a new life in him. You, know, you see, uh, C.H. Spurgeon actually, uh, he, he, uh, he prepared several sermons and just on this very this short section, this short verse, Several. And, and so here we see the importance of not only should we, in word, declare and proclaim our faith, but that it, it would be expressed, it would be revealed by the way we live our lives, so that others may, may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That others may be encouraged, stirred up to love and good works as we fellowship together. Because you can't stir people up and encourage them to love and good works if you yourself are not walking with the Lord. Do not have a relationship with them. What you'll, what you'll stir them up to are the things of the world. Amen? Yeah. That, that was one of those things to where we, we don't want to say amen because we don't, <laughs> we don't want that to be true of us. You know, what, what are we encouraging us with? The things of the Lord or the things of the world? It's easy to say that you have faith, but it's difficult to demonstrate it if you don't really have it. Paul was asking God to comfort their hearts, but also to set them firm in serving God in the proclamation of the gospel. It's a great prayer, but as we think about it, it's one that is, that is sobering. One that we could think about and ask the Lord to perhaps also do that 
work in our own hearts personally. That perhaps we should confess to the Lord that our hearts are not quite comforted and established in every good work and word. We perhaps fall short a bit. You see, if we're not excited about salvation in our own lives, if we're not excited about our relationship with Jesus Christ, then we won't be those white-knuckled Christians that are standing firm and clinging to that which is immovable, the very word of God. We will read the word rarely. We will seek the Lord rarely, perhaps only when he is needed and because we're in trouble. We will forsake the assembling of the church. That'll be, you know, not a priority. It won't be. All of these things we need to we need to listen to, we need to heed, we need to we need to understand. Hey, listen. This this is where judgment starts. It starts here in the church. With you and I. We ought to be maturing in the Lord and, and every day we should be falling more and more in love with Him. We should understand the value of the Word of God in our lives and demonstrate it by the way we handle the Word of God. I didn't mean for this, um, this message to be quite a call, perhaps, uh, you know, bring pers- personally, I-, I did not desire to bring conviction. I never do, by the way. Is not my my place, but but it is a place of the Lord's, and and I believe, you know, as we always pray, that the Lord would have His way in our time with Him, that He would give us understanding, and I believe He's brought us to this point. We, we're coming to the end of the year. This is not, you know, uh, another uh, Christmas sermon because it's, uh, you know, I, I I'm sure a lot of churches are have a Christmas series and they're going through, you know, um, those series. But I just sense the Lord wants us to get right and be in the right place before he starts a new year with us. I think we're falling short. May God help us to be white-knuckled believers. Ones that are thankful, truly, for our salvation. That we are standing firm and holding on to the word of God. May God comfort your hearts. May he establish them in every good work and word. Everything that we do, everything that we speak. That our very lives may express our love for Jesus Christ and the joy we have, and the hope we've come to know in him.
I want to close with this. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to give Ray the hard task of coming up here right now. And um, I want to ask Stephen, who's our elder, to come up as well. Jesus, Modesto, some of the leadership. Randy, where's Randy? Oh, okay. Oh, he's in Texas. He can't be here. Some of the other leaders, if you can come up. There are just something, um, well, actually up here. That's, yeah. So I, I really desire, my chief desire for this church is that we, we would just be right before the Lord. I, I can't help but think that there's unconfessed in here. That, that there are some things that we're just lingering, that are lingering, that we're, we're clinging to. Um, I, I, I know that um, perhaps there are some people here who don't know salvation. You know, I, I would just ask you, don't, don't, don't wait. The, the love of God awaits you, and it's been offered to you through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. How do we come to salvation? By confessing our sins to him and asking him for, for forgiveness and asking him to be our Lord and Savior. Oh, the weight of the, the sins that you've been carrying for so long will be lifted, and you'll know a new life in Jesus Christ. I, I would hope that right now as we pray that, that you would simply surrender your lives to Jesus Christ, for in doing so, you will know eternal life. You'll know a new life. For anyone who just simply needs prayer, um, that you would allow us to come alongside of you. Please don't go away. Please, please don't. Too many times, too many Sundays. I'm sorry. People walk off and they're not ministered to, at least um, to be prayed over and... Uh, so allow us to do that. We're here. I know, I'm sure Ray has been led by the Lord to play something. But while he does, we're closing. I'm praying. And we're going to be up here. If uh, we could just uh, conclude in, um, in a light way, in that sense. Um, God be with you. And I pray that you take advantage of this moment right here. Father, we... We are thankful for our salvation. It is the most precious thing that we will ever come to know here on earth. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to die on the cross for me. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved me by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray. Lord, that we would be a church that responds personally, openly, 
And I pray that if anyone here does not know you as Lord and Savior, that even at this very moment, that they would come up, that they would ask for prayer. And I pray, Lord, that you would move this church, Lord, that we would be holy and righteous. Lord, not in the perfect sense. We know that that's not going to happen, not this side of heaven. But that we would be a church that is deliberate, that is desiring your glory first and foremost. That we would demonstrate it by being humble, by seeking you, by allowing each other to come alongside and and, and encourage and pray. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We ask you to do a wonderful work even now. May your word resonate in our hearts. Forgive us of our sins. For your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the love.